Welcome back to the Move Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a look at the last few stages, 10, 11, and 12 and uh, of the Vuelta España. And we're going to look ahead as we get into the bigger mountains starting tomorrow. Uh, Johan, I'm sure we'll break that down for us. But I'm, I'm JB, and I'm joined by Spencer and, of course, Johan, who will have their insight into these last few stages and what to look at coming up. So let's jump right into it with you, Spencer, just giving kind of a quick overview, and then we'll do our deep dive. Yeah, so since we, la- we last recorded right after Sepkus took the lead, I believe, maybe t- stage six, stage seven about... So since then, we've had stage eight, which Primoz Roglic won. Extremely hard final climb. Remco Evenepoel drilled it. Um, really an impressive pace. It was like a 13-minute long, steep climb. Maybe some mistakes, made some mistakes where he sat on the front and let everyone pick him off. Um, I think you got, you, that was the day of... You guys talked about that in your rest day one. George had some uh, some thoughts on that. And then the other big GC set pieces were, well, stage nine was supposed to be one, but they moved the finish. No time gets, even though there was some um, spatial distance between riders, that it was some interesting timekeeping there. And then the big headline is the stage 10 time trial, which Filippo Ghana absolutely roasted. I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts on if you think he's still the preeminent, like gold standard time trialist, or if that was an upset of Rimkovenepol. And then Sepkus put it an incredible ride to, I think most, most riders and most experts probably thought he was going to lose around two minutes. He limited his losses. I think it was a minute 20 to Remco Evenepoel, kept the Jersey by one Oh nine. Primoz Roglic, really good ride. Remco Evenepoel, you could say a good ride to be the runner up, but I don't think he took enough time. I think he needed more time on both Roglic and Kus there. Uh, we can debate that. And then yesterday's stage, Jesus Harada smokes everyone on the stage 11 uphill finish. Ineos let it out with Filippo Ghana, I guess, for Garrett Thomas for the sprint. Um, Thomas finished 19 seconds back, though, was never really competitive in that finale. We can talk about it. Harada was, I mean, unbelievable. Third Volta win, four grand, four World Tour wins in his career. 75% of them are at this race. Clearly, uh, he connects with the race. And then stay, yesterday, or today's stage, stage 12, sprint finish, um, kind of the classic A to B sprint stage that gets us to the base of the mountains. And then we have stage 13, 14 high Pyrenean stages over the weekend, or I guess Friday, Saturday, and then some tough mountain stages next week after the rest day on Monday. All right, let's back up here because I know Johan will have some thoughts. We'll start with you on what we saw in the time trial. Let's start with Filippo Ghana. Just crushing everybody how many minute yeah. men did he catch <laughs> he, he he caught four four guys so uh i assume that's that was all his his minute man um no he was flying and uh you know going off the result of the world championships time trial where Evenepoel beat him i don't know 20 seconds 25 seconds probably um but you know for this time trial i think that ghana you know, I mean, we actually thought that Evenepoel was the favorite, but Ghana was able to prepare himself quite a bit better, uh, specifically for this stage, given that, you know, the stages, the two, three stages before, he could basically not, I mean, he didn't have to fight for GC. Um, and um, I think the result was, you know, one and two was logical. Um, you know, we all say, everybody said, well, Evenepoel's the the favorite, fresh off, you know, fresh new world champion has something to defend, but at the end of the day, you know, all these efforts catch up with you. Uh, you know, nobody is, is uh, you know, Superman. Uh, 
And um, and I think you know the the performance of of Ghana. I mean, look if you, if you have a twenty five kilometer time trial and you you, you go fifty six kilometers per hour average, and it was not completely flat because there was a little hill in there. Uh, that's just crazy, you know. At the on the other hand, if you look at Filippo Ghana, you know he did break the world hour record this year. Uh, I don't remember exactly how much, but I, I think it was close to 57 kilometers per hour or even 57. I don't remember. Uh, so that means that during one hour, the guy basically was close to 60K an hour, right? Because this, it was a standing start on the world hour record. So he has that kind of speed in his legs. And, um, you know, we saw the two best time trialists in the world. Uh, and the third guy was Primoz Roglic and he's the Olympic champion. So uh, I think logic was respected. In, in the time trial, uh, for sure, Evenepoel was disappointed. I mean, he, you could see, I mean, the, you could clearly see the Evenepoel who passes the finish line. And, you know, as soon as he sees he doesn't win, he's pissed off, right? He's pissed off. He's angry. Typical reaction of, of Evenepoel. Uh, and I also think typical reaction of a big champion. You know, th- when they're not winning, they're not happy. Um but I think he should he should be happy because at least he did distance one of the three Jumbo-Visma guys, uh, Jonas Vingegaard, which, you know, in tier, you could think, well, maybe that's the guy that I have to fear the most in the long mountains. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think Roglic did really well. He lost um, 20 seconds maybe to, to Remco, uh, if I remember correctly. And um, and Sepp Kuss, man. Sepp Kuss did an amazing time trial. Uh, I think that's the real concern for uh, Remco and others, you know, and, and others. E- even even a concern for, for a guy like Primos because, you know, they can say, yeah, you know, we're good teammates. We want to... But at the end of the day, these guys want to win, right? They're champions and they're here to win. And so... Um, but for sure, Sepp Kuss, man, he did an amazing time trial. Uh it looks like he can. He's able to deal with the pressure. Um, also, basically, because there's, they don't expect. They don't expect of Sepp Kuz that he's going to win the Vuelta. His team didn't put, doesn't put that pressure on him, but he's in amazing shape. And he just, you know, we said it in other episodes. You know, I was really surprised to see that they selected Sepp Kuz for the Vuelta. That was already like wow, you know. Then. Sepkus shows up and he's in really good shape. And now all of a sudden he finds himself in the lead. And to me, uh, you know, it, every day is a day closer to Madrid. And, and you know, one one minute, nine seconds, uh, where are they going to take that time? You know, they would, ne- they, it, it'll need uh, a weak stage or a weak moment from Sepkus and a super, super uh, strong Remco Evenepoel or Juan Ayuso or Enric Mas. I don't mean to jump around, but a funny moment to me on yesterday's stage, stage 11, was another jumbo rider going to get bottles for Sepp Kuss. Like, Mm. what a a job change for him. Just He has to change his whole mindset overnight, practically. That had to be very weird for him. Yeah, I mean, it it is, but, you know, I think that's their strength also. You know, I mean, we... you can see not just here in the Vuelta, for example, but for those who have been following the Tour of Great Britain, you know, we have Walt Van Aert there and Olaf Koy who were riding there. And Walt Van Aert, the first four stages did the lead out for Olaf Koy, and Olaf Koy won all five, all four stages. And and then today finally Van Aert won. So they got five. So it's a team that operates that way. Um, 
And Sepkus is now on the receiving end. You know, he's, uh, I mean, good for him. He deserves it. Yeah, I mean, and he definitely deserves it. We can talk about, I want to talk about Sepkus a, a little bit more, a little bit later, but I did want to say Juan Sebastian Milano won today's sprint stage. I omitted that. I don't want to be guilty of Milano erasure. It was a great win. Um, interesting to see him become, he went from, he was a lead out man, stage 21 last year at this race for UOE, beat a sprinter. So this is a, if you want, if you're a lead out man, a young up and coming lead out man, and you want to get in the sprint game, just start beating your own sprinter and these lead outs <laughs> and you'll be the sprinter clearly incredibly talented rider. But on Johan's point about the time trial, these speeds are ridiculous. Like Filippo Ghana, 56 K an hour. That's that's 35 miles an hour, I believe. And that's what turns. It was a tight course through the city for the first half. So mm -hmm. imagine that you're averaging 35 miles an hour for half an hour carving through a city. Like it's, those are prologue speeds and they're and doing also it for a Spencer full time with, with already 10 stages in the legs yeah yeah that's even more impressive and i went through the um and, and also if you want to go that fast there's two th there's two ways to do it either be really big and strong and put out a lot of watts ghana was about 500 watts average for that 30 minutes or be incredibly arrow and that's what remco evanapol is and Primo's kind of stuck in the middle. He's actually not, despite being the Olympic time trial champion, not a great high speed time trialist. And by high speed, I mean like over 52K an hour. Um, most of the time trials he wins are are harder time trials, like 40, 41K an hour, 48K an hour. Um, this was the best I actually have found that he performed in a time trial averaging around 55 K an hour. So that's a really good sign for Primo's. You might look at the results and say, Oh, we lost 20 seconds to Rimco. He didn't win. And he's the Olympic time trial champion. This was a win, like make no mistake about it. This was mm -hmm. a, a great day for Primo's Roglic. I agree. I mean, if you look last year's Vuelta, Evenepoel won the time trial and Primo's lost close to 50 seconds and it was still considered okay. So, I mean, this year he's a lot closer. Um, and, and, and actually today he even got more closer because he got, he, he got four seconds bonification, which was, was a surprise, but we can talk about that later. I have a question that you guys may or may not know the answer to, as I was watching the time trial, <laughs> this is kind of out of left field, but it seemed that the, the helmets designs seem to be all over the place. Whereas 20 years ago, everybody's looked the same. What is going on with that? Is that the helmet manufacturers working on their design and the team has to wear that? Like, it seems like all the testing would have landed on one particular design. Like how, what's going on with that? Or is yeah, it just that's a, a good question. question? What do you think, Spencer? I'll, I'll tell you my opinion later. I think, so JB's pulling at strings here. I think we're not supposed to pull at like <laughs> if all this research went into helmets and they've been saying this for years, decades, like this is the, like Greg Lamond as the fastest helmet. And that's why it went so fast in 1988. Well, then why are these helmets radically different all the time? I think it's just yeah. marketing BS. I don't think anyone knows anything and they're just changing them around to look different. So you're like, well, that looks interesting. I'll buy that one. That's maybe my overly cynical take. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you one thing, you know, we've done a lot of different wind tunnel tests in the past for different brands, helmets, clothing, bikes, wheels. And um, I have never, ever get gotten out of a time uh, of a wind tunnel with the report that we didn't have the fast equipment. We always had the fastest equipment after, after that testing. So there is for sure 
you know, a, a, a marketing aspect to it, a big marketing aspect. Uh, there's not that much difference in between, you know, the the, the skin suits and th there are little little things, the skin suits, bikes. Now, in terms of the helmets, the way they ha they are having evolving, what I see is that, you know, different manufacturers, but they tend to get bigger. You know, before mm -hmm. I, I know I, I've known the times where the the time helmets had to be just fitting your, you know, fitting your head as narrow as possible. And they weren't even protective at a certain no, point. No, right. it was initially it was just a shell, you know, yeah. just a shell. Yeah. I mean, also because at that time you were actually, you were allowed to ride without helmets. Remember Fignon in the tour against uh, Le Monde with the ponytail and, and Le Monde with a the good big, idea. big helmet. <laughs> but um, what I see is that, and there's certain extreme extremes, which look a bit funny, but I see that they get bigger. And this is just, my idea, you know, without having any scientific, I didn't, I didn't do any research on it, but the fact that I see it bigger, it looks to me like they want to have this uh, round frontal instead of a sharp with then certain forms behind it. If you do, if you do a small, a narrow helmet, and then the, all of then all of a sudden you have your shoulders. Now what you see is that this goes like towards your shoulders, so mm -hmm. it's like a round bullet instead of a sharp bullet. I think that's, I mean, from my limited knowledge, I think that's the thinking behind it. Uh, I would have to do some research, but I, I, something tells me that I'm not far off. I mean, anybody who's listening and has more information about it, feel free to comment in, in the comment section about this. But um, I have to say, it starts to look weird sometimes. You know, there's, there's this one team, uh, what is it, you know X? With yeah, these, yeah. Uh, those helmets look really weird, but at the same time, if we if we think about the other, there was this other helmet. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's. Is it, I mean, a Puck or the 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 one that goes like this, and then yeah, you know, Puck was the I, first one to do the space remember, like Spaceballs helmet, is what I, I remember. The first <laughs> time we saw it, I said, "What is this? What this looks so strange? It looks looked actually ridiculous. I thought it was like." I was looking at a cartoon, at a cartoon movie or something, you know, but it actually makes sense that you see this round shapes to make it like a round or oval bullet instead of too many different sides at the front of the bullet. I just find the whole thing interesting because it's it's like how, how many time trial helmets do you sell to the general public? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, not yeah, very I, many. And that's. Think about the time trial bikes. Who's buying those? Because well, triathlon has their own separate yeah. bikes. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's part of this. And I mean, even if you don't sell a lot of time trial bikes or it's a commercial, you know, normally, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, if, if, if a certain brand has, you know, a lot of success with a certain super sonic uh, model of time trial helmet, they're, they're going to sell a lot of normal helmets because of that. Ah, yeah. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. I just was watching this going, what is That's going on with all these? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how much was a decision or if it was up to your helmet manufacturer or anyhow. Uh, we'll probably keep an eye. I'll keep an eye on the comments section and see what our listeners know about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. How's that? All right. Let's move on. That's it from the time trial. I believe let's go on to stage 11. But there's one, one more thing I wanted okay. to say about the time trial. Um, so, you know, you have the leaders who go full out, um normally i mean at this point in 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 the race 10 days or 11 days within into the vuelta 
you have the guys who think they can win, obviously Ghana. Uh, then you had another guy like, for example, uh, Stefan Bissiger, time trial specialist, European champion. Uh, one thing that I didn't understand is the, the sixth place of, and you know, it's, it's not my intention to criticize the rider or uh, Matteo Catania, sixth place in the time trial. And I, th- I said before, and I think I, I had this conversation with Spencer. I said, man, I hope that Sudal Quickstep doesn't allow Catania to go full gas in the time trial. Did that th- was that with you, Spencer, that I, we talked about that? Yeah, because we were going to pick him for the podium on outcomes. And then we yeah. didn't because you said, if they're thinking straight, they won't have a yeah. ride hard. Yeah. And so then I see, you know, Catania finished sixth, uh, which means he went full gas. Because you know all the guys in front were really good time trialists and in great shape, and they went they went full gas. So if you think logically, you have Remco Evenepoel, who is the sole leader of Sudal Quickstep. They are definitely not as strong as as Jimbo Visma, probably not as strong as UAE as a team. Uh, and then on top of that, Matteo Catania has been all the time the last guy with Remco Evenepoel, the guy who set the tempo, the guy who was there. And and when I see those things, I, I really don't understand that. Um, first of all, I don't understand why the rider would want to do that. Uh, it's a sixth place, but, you know, Catania has won time trials in World Tour races already. You know, I think he won the time trial in the Tour of Poland recently. Um He's a good time trialist, but you know what's the sixth place going to do for him? And then you know instead, because and instead of saving himself, because it's only it's thirty minutes or whatever, but it's it's thirty minutes full gas, and you know, at some point there's going to be this one two minutes that he needs to be there for uh, his leader. That could probably be because he went too deep in the time trial. That's just me thinking out loud. Maybe things have changed. Uh, there's quite a bit in, of, of uh, in between, you know, there's a flat stage in between. You can say they recover, but you don't really recover 100% ever in a Grand Tour. Uh, it's not like you have two days of easy riding and you're back to 100% energy. So um, I was a bit surprised to, to, to see that. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. You know, maybe you could elaborate on this for everyone listening, because I would I would imagine uh, not very many of our listeners have done a time trial as part of a stage race. Right. That's mm-hmm. a very, very select group. But maybe to, if you could describe what that physically takes out, I think I think even though it's 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes it takes a lot more out of you than people realize, as opposed to racing for six hours. Yeah, oh, go yeah. out and ride 500 watts for 30 minutes this afternoon and tell me how you feel. <laughs> I mean, it's, you could say it's one of the most violent efforts you could do on a bike it would be a 30 minute time trial. And, and, and also JB, you know, like after, especially in a stage race, you know, like after a time trial, uh, for sure, Catania went full gas, uh, on a time trial bike, completely different position. Nowadays, these positions are super aggressive. There's a big difference between going at, 80%, which for Catania would be perfectly fine. You know, you would be perfectly in the middle somewhere. 80%, you get off your bike, you're kind of okay. If you go 100% on, on the bike in that extreme position, everything hurts. I mean, everything hurts. It's different muscles and, and, and you pay the price. The day after, you don't feel great. And if the day after you don't feel great, then you start to carry that 
tiredness with you through the next stages. Yeah, you know, and talk about not going full gas. I didn't think we'd spend this much time on the time trial. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sepku sur- surprised a lot of people. But have if you think about his role as a super domestique and grand tours for the mountains, he's probably never gone full gas in a grand tour time trial. So we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus there's the power of being in red, right? Yeah. Well, he, I think he never went full gas like this in a flat time trial. Uh, I, I think he also said, it's like the first time that I, get, I didn't get caught by the guy behind me in the time trial shows you that normally a time trial like this is, you know, it's like, a 75%, 70% effort. You know, he did go full gas, for example, in the last time trial in the Giro, but that was a mountain top, a mountain time trial, and it was the second last day. Um, but man, I mean, he defended himself really, really well. And, and you could also actually see, uh, if you look at Jonas Vingegaard at Primoz Roglic, and then, you know, the super specialists, Evenepoel and, and Ghana, and, uh, and then you look at the position and the setup of the time trial bike of Sepkus, you can see this guy did not spend a lot of time and energy <laughs> on time trialing. That that I said to you, you know, Spencer, I said that cockpit looks completely different. It's like it's it's super short. Of course, you know, there's always physical limitations, but it's not. It's Sepkus's time trial bike is not dialed in to be super competitive. It's more more kind of dialed into okay. Let's let me just get through this in the Grand Tours, and and let me just get comfortable on this bike, right? Yeah, and you wonder, I mean, how many times has he ever really done a competitive time trial? I'm going back, Sepp Kuss, by the way, we are off topic, by the way, but Sepp Kuss, <laughs> really interesting, did not come up in some sort of um, codified racing program. The guy who was racing for the University of Colorado team, like doing criteriums with me in Colorado, <laughs> and you know, was probably doing TTs on his road bike. And then he kind of got on a, it was like a development team out of St. Louis, not, not a big team. And then the year later he was on rally doing um, some pro races, but I doubt he was ever really trying in time trials there. So this might be one of the first time trials that he ever really focused on. As Johan said, he, I think he has, you, you described it, Johan, as it looked like he has a basket on the front to go to the store. That's what his cockpit <laughs> looks like. Because hey, don't I, reveal it. Spencer, don't reveal all of our <laughs> I did. And, I did, in fact, say that. I did say that. I bet it's set up for comfort just to get him through these time trial stages. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. I know we did spend a lot on the time trial, but this is interesting stuff. Let's move on to 11, that 26 man breakaway. I want, let's start with you, Spencer. What, what were your observations watching Filippo Ghana, who crushed it in the time trial the day before pulling, setting up what looks like for Garrett Thomas, but looks like he could have ridden away if it was something he wanted, the team wanted for him on his own. Uh, uh, was that my observation correct? They were trying to set up Thomas, but it yeah. just wasn't quite there. And it was kind of beautiful. I mean, it looked, in theory, it's beautiful, right? You get two guys, two strong guys in the brake. You drive the brake. These are like amateur racing tactics, JB. This is like what we would do in races we're doing, where it's like, oh, I got Stefan Roth up here. He's going to drive the brake for me. I'm going to win the sprint. <laughs> easy, easy, right? But the problem is it didn't really seem like they considered everybody else in the break, like a lot of really talented, quick riders, Jesus Serrato, who won the stage, Roman Gregor, who got second, Andreas Krohn, Jonathan Casado. These are all really fast guys at the end of 
um, climbs. And these, this isn't the Tourmalade. This is a shorter climb that a lot of guys can survive on. Gano is setting an incredibly hard pace on the climb, pulling in anyone who attacked, keeping anyone from attacking. And I couldn't help but thinking, what if Gano was just off the front? Like, who is reeling this guy in? Like, you, and then Thomas could sit in the group. And if someone does try to reel him in, Thomas is sitting on him, getting it's like a reverse lead out, getting a free ride and also waiting to attack if they do make the junction, because you'd think they wouldn't want to go to a bunch sprint with Garrett Thomas, who hasn't won an uphill stage since uh, 2018. So it's quite a long time ago. I probably wouldn't have banked on that. That that's what it was just a little confusing to me. It looks very cool. Um, Flubagon is very fast. I just don't know if it was maximizing their chances of success. And it kind of goes back to I think Johan with his um kind of frustration with quick step in the time trial. We we might be expecting there to be more um like strong armed leaders in these teams. Like this is what we're doing, and this is how we're gonna win the race it might just be a lot of like on the road rider decisions. Like riders might be making a lot of these decisions by themselves. And that's, that's what it told me. Like Ghana just respects Thomas and wanted to set him up. I think, I think that's the word uh, Spencer respect. I think that's probably what played the biggest role in how Ineos wrote that stage. You're right to say that, uh, you know, if Ghana gets off the front in the, the lower slopes, which he was perfectly capable of doing the way he was going, you know who goes who goes and gets him uh, I, I think the fear probably was that there would be nobody who would be setting the pace but actually attacking which would go against the 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 best the best way for Grant Thomas of course because he wants a steady pace but i personally think and i actually think i've heard Grant Thomas say in his post race interview that Ghana absolutely wanted to do this job for Grant Thomas um out of respect, in my opinion, Grant Thomas is a really highly respected rider within Ineos. And I think rightfully so, you know, he won the tour. He was second in the tour. He was third in the tour. He was second in the Giro. Um, and he's, you know, he's with the team since the very beginning. So he's, uh, he's like, you know, probably the, the, the most respected rider on, on Ineos, in my opinion. Uh, you could also see, for example, at the beginning of of this Vuelta, Egan Bernal was like his, you know, it was like his super domestique, you know, and he found he was really proud that he could do that job for Grant Thomas. So, um, you know, they probably made a mistake with uh, with that tactic, uh, but I still think, you know, then if after the after the stage, if you see the outcome and the way Jesus Herrada won that stage and how he was really calculating it. I don't think it would have mattered. I think Herada had that acceleration with three, 400 meters to go, and he would have won this uh, in any scenario. Any run? Think- go ahead, Spencer, go ahead. Even with the stop start, like let's just say it's an, it gone is off the front and they're attacking behind, so it's stop start. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they catch him. I mean, if someone really got on the front and set a steady pace and they were all well, it would have ha- it would have happened, Spencer, because uh, the the front uh Groupama FDG had two riders. So uh Rudy Mollard would have set the pace, thinking that Romain Grégoire could win. And and you know, they were right because Romain Grégoire, the young guy, he's you know, big champion, he was second in the stage. So I think that that, that would have been the case. Then uh Groupama would have pulled, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy it. <laughs> but it also, the thing about it, it gets Thomas, he's seven and a half minutes back. He made up a lot of time, like five, over five minutes. 
I wonder if they think if he could get in another breakaway and make well, another jump. I, I, I personally think at this point, you know, when you start the Grand Tour on that kind of foot, like Rain Thomas, you know, with the two crashes being a little bit off uh, the first time uphill there in, in Andorra, this is not going to be Grain Thomas's Vuelta. Uh, it's not meant to be. And, and I don't think he will improve that much uh, that he's able to be in the, up there and, and, and get, you know, anything but a podium for Grain Thomas is not worth it. So I, I think he's going to try, try, keep trying for stage wins. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, if, listen, if there's a bonus uh, time gain, uh, he'll take it. But I think his priority is going to be on trying to win a stage rather than trying to be in the top five or top six, seven. Top three, I think, is at this point, it's it's not it's not realistic to think that Grant Thomas can be on the podium. So the, I, what you're explaining is he'll back off. He'll quit worrying about that overall time. And he's probably looking ahead at the remaining stages and trying to cherry pick one or... Well, normally, JB, if logic is respected, uh, unless Grant Thomas tomorrow gets in a breakaway, which could could be, but you know if it's real racing on on the Tourmalet, he, he won't be there with those six, seven, eight best guys. He hasn't been there at any in any other. It's always the three Jumbos, the three UAE, Evenepoel, Enric Mas, and and whoever. I mean, I don't know who else. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Lenny Martinez. Uh, Grant Thomas hasn't been nowhere near, you know, for because of circumstances. Let's forget he had a bad crash and hurt both of his knees. And you know, you may be anybody. I mean, once you once you start to be all banded up, it's 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 not nice. It's it's you know it, everything hurts. And um, no, I I think Grant Thomas should forget about the GC. At the end, what is it going to do for him? Sixth or seventh in the Vuelta? It makes no difference, right? Right. Um, now let's talk about the the GC battle that did not happen on stage eleven, and uh, and I didn't catch the day prior your your outcome show uh, to hear your your predictions. Did you think that with it ending on a cat one climb, did you think there would be a GC battle for at least the last one k or something? But we, we didn't see anything. We didn't expect big differences, but uh, I mean, let's not forget we we had I think we had this finish. 2019 or 2020 uh, in the world, I think Dan Martin won ahead of Primoz Roglic, and there was like eight, ten riders really close. So we could kind of expect what it was going to be, but I did definitely expect that a guy like uh, like Evenepoel would try Sepkus, uh, especially the day after a time trial. I mean, that's if you if you think logic, my way my way of thinking would be okay, Sepkus. Is in this position. He's in the red jersey. He's not used to go full gas in these kind of flat time trials. Um, he's definitely not used the same way as the time trial specialist to the time trial bike. So he may feel uncomfortable the day after. So why not give it a try? And and you know, try to accelerate with two k to go and 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 maybe an attack. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered also because it it seems like Sepkus had recovered extremely well from the time trial and was glued to the wheel of, of Ramco Evenepoel uh, in his last acceleration. But what I really didn't understand was this all of a sudden like this consensus between 
all the 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 big guys that it was like I at first I thought something had happened and that there was kind of an agreement okay let's not race let's let's you know there's something going on right whatever it is but it turns out that there was nothing going on and it was just every was everybody afraid or what they were doing exactly I don't know but it looked to me really strange uh that there was this passiveness amongst uh all the all the big favorites I mean, I can get why Yumbo. I think it was a trap. It's a trap because Yumbo, oh, Yumbo, Yumbo was fine. Yumbo was perfectly. Yeah. Because where does Sepkus struggle in theory? And maybe we can throw the Sepkus book out the window because everything he's ever done in his career is in service of others. So maybe this isn't relevant, but he tends to struggle on really short, explosive climbs just because you know he's lighter and he's not putting out the raw power of someone like Primos or even Remco. And so you'd think, well, how do you take back? Like, let's just start work, work on this. Like it's a, it's a riddle. You know, you're a weaker climber. You're in a very mountainous race. You have to make up a minute and nine seconds. How do you do it? Um, you would think you would do it on climbs that suit you like yesterday, just get, you know, small gaps. It, let's say Remco finishes. There's a few riders with them. There's a couple jumbled groups, you know, you can get big time gaps there because the way they calculate time is not linear. It's if you're, you know, in the back of a group and there's a split, you might be close to someone, but you might be 10 seconds behind because they take the time by the first rider to cross the finish line and then you. And if there happens to be a split there, it could be a 10 second gap. And you think, well, 10 seconds now, now we're down to 59 seconds. That starts to look a lot more reasonable. That's why, and even just how do you beat people? You pressure them, pressure them, pressure them, turn the screws, turn the screws. They eventually blow up. See Tour de France 2023, Tade Pogacar. I was a little surprised to see Quick Step just throw that away. And I'm sure Yumbo was happy to say, all right, let's slow pedal up this thing. Let's slow pedal all the way to Madrid. Jumbo was really happy. Uh, I think the ones who, I mean, Remco, you could still say, okay, you know, he's up there. He's in second, uh, in third, right? He's in third now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the guys who, I mean, and then also you had UAE, uh, they were probably also kind of happy because Juan Ayuso had a crash at the beginning of the stage, yep. probably didn't feel great. So I say, okay, you know what? Hey, at least we saved the day, you know? So it was just a combination of circumstances for everybody. And, uh, it looked really weird. It was like, there was a strike or something. Which uh, and and it wasn't. So uh, I, I had never seen this before. As a spectator, uh, that's really boring. After you just spent two hours in front of your television, <laughs> waiting for this <laughs> this last couple k of this climb, I w- I was disappointed. But anyhow, mm-hmm. good for yeah. Sepp well, Kuz. you know, let's it's good for let's, Kuz, though. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget. You know, I mean, they all know how hard this Vuelta still is. There's so many, so many hills still to come, big mountain stages, but also climbs that you know, are not very well known, but are super, super hard. So, um, you know, listen, they can't race on every single climb, right? Uh, right. But then you would expect, you know, maybe somebody else who is normally not up there gives it a try. Uh, and you could see, I mean, it looked, it looked, I mean, that that was the funny thing about that finish. Uh, it looked like it was really easy in the, in the peloton. And then you see Jan Uitebroeks, who attacks and looks like he's going full gas and 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 yet the peloton yeah. accelerates only 400 meters and they catch him on the line 
And Uyte Brooks was gone already for like more than two, two and a half kilometers. So, you know, it only them can tell, you know, uh, how it really feels. And, and it's not always what it looks like. All right. Now let's move on to uh, today's stage, which was a, a sprint finish and, it, and actually a really good one. The, I think one of the highlights there, let's weigh the balance of what happened. Caden Groves, a chain drop, maybe I heard. Uh, definitely affected him still fast and finished third, but that might've cost him. But what really did it for UAE was this Rui Oliveira lead out that just, they, they took another path and it sort of surprised everybody. It totally surprised everybody and, uh, and set up Milano for a, a win for UAE to pick up a sprint stage, like probably not their plan on this Vuelta. I personally think, uh, JB that, independently of the mechanical mishap of Caden Groves. Once Rui Oliveira started, launched with Milano glued to the wheel, it was over for, for, for Caden Groves. Uh, he may have been a little bit closer, but if you see the difference with which Milano wins the stage, uh, and Caden Groves had still two riders in front of him, of his team. Um, now they just surprised everybody. They came with so much more speed. Uh, which is actually incredible because, you know, Oliveira ac accelerates at a moment that actually another lead out guy is already going full gas. Yeah. So that's, that's just crazy, you know, to see that difference in speed. Not only, did, not, not only did they surprise everyone, it seems like they surprised themselves judging from their reaction. Mm -hmm. Like this was like some small team picked up a state at if well, it's a stage win that <laughs> didn't expect it. They were beyond thrilled to have a sprint mm -hmm. win. I, I think the difference is like, think about how King Groves finished the second today, won the first two sprint stages with ease, I'd say because his team was so strong, his lead out was so strong. Just sit on the lead out, the lead out, trust in the lead out, you'll be fine. Today, they just weren't going fast enough. You know, you could say maybe they're fatiguing, but also his lead out, man, I believe the guy, the last guy today was the guy who crashed in stage seven, um, pretty hard. So you'd Robert imagine- Hayes. Robert yeah, Hayes. Yep, yeah, has dented his ability to kind of lead out at the same speed. Um, and it maybe just opened the door a little bit because holy smokes, UAE was coming around fast. That was, oh, it was, you know, it's, it must be the fatigue because it looked, listen, for Alpacin, it looked perfect. You know, I mean, they had, they had at some point five guys there. I said, okay, who's going to beat Caden Groves? There's no way because it was like 1400 meters to go and they still had like five guys. Yeah. But that's the thing about these sprints, you know, I mean, it, all of a sudden something doesn't work out perfectly and, and, yeah, they were surprised. They were surprised UAE. Uh, I, I think especially Oliveira was surprised that he passed them so fast. Because, you know, st Oliveira st still finishes fourth himself, I think, right? I know. Yeah, and he sat up. That's how fast yeah. he was going. So they were, I mean, that difference in speed was incredible. I mean, and you know what? Good for Milano, you know, because he's been trying hard. Stage one, the, uh, the first sprint stage, he was really close. Then he was, you know, I think two times behind uh, behind the crash or something. Um, but um, and you know, and it's not easy for for him to be a sprinter on UAE because he only has one or two riders yep. next yep. to him. All the other guys are around the GC guys. So um, uh, nice win for UAE and for Milano. We went back through his results on outcomes yesterday. Pretty good. Better sprinter than you would think for a guy that just became a sprinter and was a career lead out rider. I mean, he won a stage at the Saudi tour last year, which you think like, or this year, like, Oh, how 
how important is that? But was it the Saudi tour you, or UAE tour? It was Saudi tour, and it had uh, every top rider. It had Mark Cavendish. It had like name a name a top sprinter. They were at, oh, sorry UAE tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get my I get my Middle Eastern tours mixed up. Um, it pretty much every top sprinter, and he wins a stage there. Um, so you know that he's incredibly good, and it's actually wild to think in retrospect they were having him lead out Pascal Ackerman through the entire vault of last year. I mean, because yeah. we saw today, he doesn't need much support to win. I mean, that's yeah, a very won, valuable and, rider. And he won last year's Vuelta. Uh, last year's Vuelta, he won the last stage in Madrid, leading out Ackerman. <laughs> On Ackerman not, not being able to pass him. Yep. So he definitely has, you know, a top speed in the legs. He also won a stage, a bunch sprint, no, just before the Vuelta in the Tour of Burgos. He already won a, a sprint. Um, the best riders were not there, but... Uh, he won, a, he won a sprint there too, I think. And also, if I'm not mistaken, I think he won. Oh no, maybe that's no, maybe that not, maybe that's Gaviria in in the Tour of Romandie. I'm not sure about that, but he won a stage in Burgos, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was just before, just before the Vuelta. Yeah. It was top of mind for me coming into this. Did you guys see who got second in the intermediate sprint? Yeah, Primoz Roglic. Yeah, taking some time bonuses, kind of interesting in there. Yeah, I think he picked yeah. up four seconds or something. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I mean, still, it's still two seconds. You know, like because even a pool in the early stages, he he took six six seconds. I think by surprise. Uh, now Primos gets four, so it kind of evens it out. But you you can clearly see that these guys are there, and they know that every second is going to count. Well, yeah, that was my next question. Is the member of the first week, the rhetoric from Yumbo was, this won't be one by seconds, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And you think Primoz is saying, are we sure about that? I just won a grand tour by 14 seconds. Maybe we should uh, grab as much time as we possibly can here. Well, I think it's always it depends on on the effort it costs, right? Uh, yeah. The day that it was planned because Trapnik did the lead out for, for Roglic. Uh, you know, thinking that he could get six or four seconds where um, even a pool wouldn't take any seconds. And then you see at the same time, uh, a teammate of Remco, even a pool, I think it was, uh, was it Kasper Pedersen? Uh, sprinting for those bonus seconds to avoid that any of those GC guys takes those seconds. Yep. All right. Now the Palacha crystal ball. We're heading into the big mountains. What is Jumbo's strategy now? Yeah, I think we've, have we reduced it from three to two GC leaders or is Jonas still in the picture? Does Sepp Kuss move back into his super domestique role for Roglic? What do they, what do you guys think is going to happen? No, Sepp Kuss definitely not. Sepp Kuss has a protected status now. Um, if you think logically, uh, Sepp Kuz usually is the guy who puts the hurt on all of these guys and you know his leader is with him and maybe two, two other big rivals so that's when Sepp Kuz's job is done now he's in the position that he just has to try to follow in my opinion I mean I don't know what Jimbo Visma is going to do but probably something completely different than I'm, I'm going to say now <laughs> uh, but it's not up to them to attack they're in the lead and every day is a day gained, right? There's no more time trial. So as long as Sepkus can stay on the same level with Avenapool and 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 Mas and Ayuso and Almeida, to name a few, which you would say, hey, you know what? 
that's not a bad situation. You know, it's it's okay. You could say Remco Evenepoel, he's a Grand Tour winner, right? He's that he has that pedigree of super big engine. Uh, but Enric Mas, um, Juan Ayuso, uh, Almeida, Sepp Kuz doesn't have to, you know, there's no panic that he's going to get dropped big time from those guys. So it's up to the other guys to attack, I would say, and say, hey, you know what? It's your race to, to win. So uh, let's see what you got, you know, and we'll just try to follow you. I agree. I think that's exactly what they should do. And I would even go as far to say Sepkus, his if you go back through his career, he has better career performances on HC climbs than Remco Evenepoel, who really struggles. And this might just be, well, we will find out. That's the fun thing. We're going to find out in a few days what is going on here. But Tour Switzerland, he's really struggled at that race throughout his career. It could just be timing that he's never fit for that. But when he gets to these high mountain climbs and they come one after the other, you have multiple HC climbs in a stage. He does not perform particularly well. He, he can limit losses really well, but he needs to be taking time. He can't be limiting losses to Sepkus. He needs to take time. And it starts to get really tricky if you think about that. Like if you're quick step, do you, do you try to go as slow as possible through these mountain stages and, and hope that no one makes the race that hard? Um, it, it, it's, it's really, you know, it's a waiting game. Uh, I think personally tomorrow is a stage that will instill a lot of respect to a lot of riders. It's a super hard stage. It's, you know, it's a super hard stage, big climbs. Uh, I personally think a guy like a guy like Evan pool and, and, and Sudok Wickstep, they'll probably say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's see how we get through this one. Right. And let's. And I think tomorrow's goal of Evenepoel should probably be not lose time. That would be, yeah, I think, I, would I be agree. Success. Uh, and um, and and Jumbo Visma is the same. Let's try. Let's not lose time. <laughs> um, so maybe it's UAE or or maybe it's it's Movistar who uh, who comes up with a, an aggressive plan, and and that's probably what they should do. Um, Enric Mas could take advantage of that supervision you know between between Jumbo and and Sudal and um and 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 maybe Ayuso or or Almeida or more Mark Soler let's not forget a bit about him he's in second after all this is a bit of a ridiculous question but to kind of piggyback on JB's question does Jonas Vindigo take the Sepkus role like is he their last man now but he, as I say that He's only just over a minute behind Remco Evenepoel. So that's, he's not like he's out of the race. No, he's not out of the race, but I have to say, you know, this is, this is an indication of where, where it is with, with Jonas's condition. You know, he's good. Definitely not at the same level, far from than the, the tour. And uh, it is from what I've seen after the time trial, but also in some other uphill finishes, it is likely that there's going to be somebody who's better than Jonas, uh, who's not on, who's not on Jumbo Visma. You know, whether that's Ayuso or, or Mas or Evenepoel. Um, so I, I personally think, but that's also something that the riders feel a lot better than anybody else. Uh, if, if, if Jonas is put in that role, I think he's going to put himself in that role. He's going to make that decision himself. 
Yeah. And it's an easy decision for him. You know, after all, listen, he's double Tour de France winner. You know, he owes everything to his teammates. Hey, this is an ideal opportunity for him to show to his teammates and to the world that he's a great teammate. And, you know, he will all uh, only get more popular if he sacrifices himself for another another teammate being the, cur- the current Tour de France champion. Hmm. Another question, Mark, that you guys have brought up already. Sepkus is doing something that defies what any of us think is human by doing three grand tours in the same year, back to back. The question mark is, is, does he run out of gas? Like, does it hit? Like, that's, that's such an amazing effort. The more we go on, the less likely it seems, don't you think? Well, answer. well I would say trying to win three grand tours is impossible. Uh, I even think winning the Giro and Tour maybe will never be done again. But he was not racing to win at the Giro. He was not racing to win at the Tour. I am almost going to zag on this. Is this was this good training? Because he hasn't. He's had a light race schedule outside of these. Has this set him up well? Like were the was the Tour and the Giro essentially just really good training camps for the Volta Spagna, and that he won't. I, Maybe he falls apart and I look like an idiot, that's, but I'm not bit, sure it's that bad. <laughs> no, that's a bit of extreme thought, Spencer, being good training <laughs> camps, but uh, I, I get your point. I, I do think uh, it's less and less likely that he's going to run out of gas. Once you're in the lead, man, it's it's a different game, you know, and he sees this opportunity. And the way I have heard him speak after certain stages He's getting really confident, uh, not overconfident. And you know what? I mean, at the end of the game, if he doesn't win the, the Vuelta, so what? Yeah. Nobody expect <laughs> him to win. He didn't come here to win. Uh, and, you know, being able to take it day by day is a huge advantage for Sepkus. And, and you know, just ticking off, okay, yeah, another day, another day. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, I can see the the the, the towers on on the Castellana in Madrid, here we come. I would, I would be, listen, it would be, would be an amazing story. It would be incredible. You know, uh, go ahead. Flip it on its head. So no pressure on Sepkus. Sepkus was not um, in the media kind of demanding, or at least his agent wasn't demanding that he should be paid more money. And he's one of the best riders in the world and he should make Tade Pogacar money. I mean, the lead up to this race has not been ideal for Evanapol. And he's got to start, he's going to start feeling the pressure if he cannot get time back on set coups. You know, one thing I, I kind of agree, you know, one thing is for, for Remco not winning the Vuelta and losing to either Roglic or, or Jonas, everybody would say, okay, you know what? It's kind of expected, you know? Yeah. Not winning the Vuelta, but the winner set that's a different game. That's different. And of course, they made mistakes, you know, they gave way too much time on, on stage six. They were not paying attention. They were asleep at the steering wheel. Uh, but yeah, listen, it's still far to go. And, and I'm pretty sure that we're still going to see uh, big attacks and, and maybe some, some surprises that we don't expect. All right. Now I'm, I'm really looking forward to outcomes, uh, your predictions for tomorrow. 
Have you guys recorded that already? You're doing that after nope. this? No, no, after. no. Okay. After right. a little bit later, so we, I still have another one in between now. <laughs> I know. La I, I, I literally was just thinking, I got to let Johan go. He's got so much work to do still. Uh, <laughs> it's so, probably so, the hardest race of the, well, it's the hardest stage of the Volta. And then Saturday is also very hard. So that could explain the slow pace, JB, on stage, stage 11. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, Lance brought this up or we mentioned it on the, the, the last show, but still no no press love in America for Sepp Kuss. It's mm. just, the story is just buried. Uh, it's not happening. It's the Vuelta, JB. It's, and yeah. it's, it's, the tour asphyxiates everything in cycling. Yeah. Um, the Giro gets more attention because it's the first grand tour of the season. Yeah. The Vuelta is kind of an appendix, right? Of, of, of the, the, the grand tour or stage race season. And, it's it's a hard race, let me tell you. It's a super hard race, and uh, I, I personally think Sepkus is not in the slightest way worried that it doesn't get any exposure. If he manages to win this race, trust me, he's going to get the exposure he he deserves. Yeah, it will come with the win. Then everyone's going to pay attention. And go, wait, whoa, what happened? <laughs> right? <In America. laughs> yeah, they'll wake up. Uh, okay, before we wrap and let you guys get on to do more shows, let's uh, do our Ventum trivia. We're giving away a brand new Ventum GS1 gravel bike. At the end of this Vuelta, all you have to do is uh, participate by answering these trivia questions, email them in, and uh, you could win. doesn't cost you a thing. The question from uh, our, our rest aid recap, just to give the answer out, was how many combined U.S. national championship road race titles did George and Lance win during their careers as professionals? Uh, George won three in 98, 06, and 09, and Lance won in 93. All right. Today's question is, in 2017, George raced the Cape Epic Mountain Bike Stage race in South Africa. Who was his teammate? All right. Who was George's teammate in the 2017 Cape Epic uh, look it up, find your answer, send it in to trivia at VentumRacing.com. And you could win the new minted GS1, which will come complete with SRAM Apex AXS. Good luck to everybody. Johan Spencer, again, you got work to do. Thank you for uh, doing this. The, your coverage is incredible, and I appreciate you having you here to do this for everybody. And thanks to for the listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you as well. Yeah, Thanks, everybody. And uh... I guess tomorrow we're going to be probably back with another episode of our new podcast, The Move Plus. And you don't have to go anywhere for it. It'll be right here in this feed. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, JB.